verses 13 through 17. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisies and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His, com- his reply completely amazed them. Today, for a few minutes, I want to ask you a question. To whom do you belong? It might be an easy answer for some. It might be a hard question for others. And sometimes it's not quite the road we thought it would be. But today I want to ask you again, to whom do you belong? At the beginning of humanity, God created man and woman in his image. They were undoubtedly his. They were a picture reflecting him. And they were filled with his breath of life. There were no questions, there were no doubts, and there were no uncertainties. They belonged to their creator. And then sin entered the equation and began to disfigure that image as much as possible. Sin began its work of marring every aspect of humanity in hopes of completely disfiguring every life so that it seemed only to belong to sin and none other. Sin enslaved an entire planet. Every child was born with the mark of sin upon them. As quickly as each child began to grow, sin did as well, spreading throughout their lives, leaving each one of us on a path to destruction. Every person here, under the sound of my voice, has experienced that path. The trauma of sin, the devastation left by our own weakness in the face of temptation and the pain inflicted by the sin of others. This path was originally blazed by Satan, the deceiver that twists truth to hold humanity in slavery to sin. There are many ways that this sin enslaves every person, but deception is what keeps them there. We have no choice that we're born into sin, But we do have a choice in what we believe, which is why deception is one of the enemy's greatest strategies. Today I want to discuss with you two of those strategies. The first one is self-assurance. It's a relaxed confidence that comes from being sure of your own abilities. Sin wants you to be on the lookout for number one, confident in what you bring to humanity's table. The voices of sin say, everything is fine. Look at all the good you do. If you were really a bad person, you wouldn't do good things. God wouldn't send a good person to hell, so you're fine. Everyone sins a little, and surely all the good deeds balance out and make up for the little mess-ups here and there. You're basically a good person. 
This self-assurance is not the confidence that we have in who God created us to be, but it is a complete reliance upon self. And it is a deception that many are caught in. How does Scripture respond to this deception? What does God have to say about it? Does God believe you're a good person? Matthew 19, 16 through 17, someone came to Jesus with the question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? His response, why ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good in reference to God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Every person is infected and impure with sin when they take their first breath. Romans chapter 4 said, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith, not what he did that was good. Abraham raised his nephew, provided him with riches, with his own land, with his own animals, with his own family. Abraham rescued people that had been captured by evil kings and carried off with Lot. And then he didn't take the spoils for himself. He wasn't greedy. He followed God's voice, and he took good care of all those that were under him, but that was not enough to save him. It was his faith in God. Let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And then Romans 5.12 said, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin spreads and infects. There are those on our planet and in our history that have committed horrible crimes against humanity. Each of us can think of a name of somebody we learned in history class, even people more present day we've seen in the news that have eradicated and tried to kill off entire ethnicities, tried to destroy an entire country, genders and minorities. People that sometimes are very hurt and in, in that hurt, they turn around and hurt others and it's easy to look at myself and say, well, I'm a really good person. I'm doing good. Man, God must be so proud of me. Or maybe I don't even need God because compared to them, I'm, I'm doing really good. Even those that are considered the worst of humanity still have something in them that wants to do good. Someone whose society considers as pure evil will turn and show love or an act of kindness to a person or an animal. They might have done heinous crimes, but then you see them over here taking care of somebody or, or taking care of their mom or feeding the homeless or doing some good deed, and it's very confusing. How can someone so full of sin and so evil do something kind? We want people to be all bad or all good, because then it's easy. 
This is the good camp. You go over here. This is the bad camp. You go over here. And we tend to do heaven and hell that way. Heaven's for the good people. Hell's for the bad people. But that's not what Scripture tells us. All of humanity has base instincts. And some of those instincts are due to being created in the image of God. Those instincts can be to care for life, respond to a need, and have relationships. How many times have we seen people that have never spoken, never done, but even the grouchiest, grumpiest, ugly people in a crisis come together? We see it in our own country. People will come together with people they don't know to help those in need. It's because we are made in the image of our Creator. But it doesn't mean we're good people. It means there are still parts of us that reflect the image of our Creator. Even though sin has tried to completely destroy, there are still pieces of light of God that shine out of us. Due to sin's insatiable desire to infect and control, every good deed carries a fingerprint or the infection of sin. This is because humanity carries the mark of sin and it's ultimately given to the one whose mark it wears, just as the coin or the mark of Caesar. That coin could do good things. It could be used for good or evil. But at the end of the day, the taxes had to go to Caesar because it bore Caesar's mark. Without the Creator's intervention, all of humanity's good works are done while in slavery to sin. And if sin is your master then even your works, inspired by the image of God, belong to that master. We have a picture of two roads. We're going to put up on the screen. If you're on the road of sin, everything you do, everything that happens on that path is owned by sin's master, the good and the bad. But if you're on the path of salvation, everything that happens on that path is owned by its master, good and bad. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy speaks to those on the road to salvation. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for this future so that they may experience true life. If you're on the road to salvation, your good works will benefit the kingdom of God in your future. Also, when you fall, when you fail, and when you sin while on this path of salvation, you don't get kicked back to the other path. Those paths, those things belong to your master as well. And just because you do good works, if you choose the path of sin, it doesn't move you to the path of righteousness. When you're on the path of salvation and you fall and you sin, you pray. Just like the scripture says, you accept help from others. You heal and you keep going. The only way to get on either path is to choose. James 5, 14 through 15 says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. This is speaking to people that have chosen the path of salvation, the righteous path. It, the Lord knows you will fall and you will sin, but his path is covered in his blood. And all you have to do is whisper his name, and he will forgive you. 
He doesn't kick you back to the path of sin and say, you don't belong here. You're not worth it. You messed up. He says, I am your master, and I will carry this for you. Just as if you choose the path of sin, sin will take your good deeds and own them for you. Choosing the road to salvation doesn't make you perfect, but it does give you protection, provision, and a continual promise of redemption. The second strategy of deception we're going to discuss this morning takes you from a self-assurance, a feeling of power in yourself. You can take control. You're in control of your destiny to a place of doubt and shame, the feelings of hopelessness. Those voices say to you, God will never forgive you. You've gone too far. Your life is worthless. You've been forgiven too many times. God's not going to forgive you again. You've made decisions and you have messed up your life so bad that there's no way you can have a future with Christ. The church doesn't even want you there. You're an embarrassment. You're broken beyond repair. Your destiny is to be a slave to sin forever. But again, I ask the question, What does scripture have to say? When you hear these voices, Jesus said when he heard those voices, it is written. We have to do the same thing. What does scripture have to say? Romans 3, 22 through 25 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter what decisions you've made, No matter who you are, no matter what group you've affiliated yourself with, no matter how many times someone's called you something or done something to you, for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Luke 12, 7 says, And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. When the enemy whispers to you, you should be ashamed, you are worthless, no one wants you, you have scripture that says you are valuable to God. God says, don't listen to those voices. You're, you're valuable to me. I love you. And he's willing to cover all of your sins, all your imperfections with his blood. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When you choose the path of salvation... He takes all the charges, and he cancels them, and he nails them to the cross. Satan can't force you down the path of sin anymore. God says, oh, look, we'll just cancel that out. I paid for that. Come and walk with me. Romans 5, 5 through 6 says, And this hope 
will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Today, you are not hopeless. If the enemy has said you are without hope, you are without a future, you're not hopeless. You may be helpless, but scripture says we were all helpless. Scripture confirmed that Christ died for every one of us, and he says, and you were all in a helpless state when he did it. None of us are hopeless. None of us are without hope. You may feel helpless, but that's okay. Because Jesus died when you were still helpless. He didn't wait for you to get it together. He didn't say, come on, let's help you get on the road, and then I'll do something for you. No, he says, I'm going to die for you whether you choose the right way or not. I'm going to die for you knowing you are helpless and you are covered and infected with sin, an incurable disease. So I'm going to come and I'm going to create the cure for every person that will choose it. He's not going to force it upon you. Jesus Christ died for you to give you the hope of salvation. Sin wants you to believe that it has robbed you of any hope of forgiveness and a future, that you are locked away in the darkest of places enslaved for all eternity. But God today wants to ignite in your heart the light of hope. He wants to shine that light into your dark place and clear a path for you to find him. Mark 1, 1 through 4 says, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. God always sends someone to clear the road so you can find the right path. It had been close to 400 years Israel hadn't seen a prophet. They were desperate, they were hopeless, they were helpless, and they had been conquered by the Roman army. And Jesus didn't just show up and say, I'm here. He sent somebody ahead to clear the, pay, the way, to prepare the hearts of the people and say, get ready, your Messiah is coming. Repent, you are forgiven, be baptized, prepare yourself for what God is about to do. And hundreds and hundreds of people did. And today, God has sent a voice to prepare, to push away the things that would hide the path, the voices that would keep you from finding your way on the righteous path to God. Sin and the voices in your life will lie to you, but today you have a choice. Sin wants to believe that you didn't have a choice from birth and you still don't have a choice now, but that is a lie. Paul states in Romans chapter 6, 16 through 23, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? I'm going to say that again. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? We can be a slave to sin or a child of the king, but it's our choice. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You choose which path you will walk. You can't do it alone. Making the choice doesn't give you the strength to do it. But God, through his power and his spirit, he fills you with his spirit 
And he says, I'm giving you the power to walk this path. I'm giving you everything you need to come to me. And not only am I doing that, but I'm going to walk it with you. There is never a moment when you walk alone on this path. There is never a moment on the path to righteousness where you are condemned. God may send conviction. God may grow you. God may mature you, but he doesn't condemn you. And today, he's asking, who will you be? You get to choose whom you belong to, just like that coin. That coin didn't get to choose who it belonged to. It had Caesar's face stamped on it. When we're born into this world, we have sin stamped on us. We don't have a choice. And God says, I give you a choice. I took you from a hopeless situation, and I put you in a place where you can choose. You can choose his stamp on you today. You can choose his life. You can choose the way of righteousness that leads to hope and to salvation and to life everlasting. You don't have to live in the bondage of sin and condemnation. Today you get to choose whose name will be on you. We could stand together. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. Every one of us, those that have lived for God for a long time and maybe those that are still trying to make a decision. We can repent, we can be forgiven, and we can be baptized into a new life with him today. Today, somebody needs to know that you can choose this path, that you don't have to walk alone. If you've been on the path and you switched paths and you made a choice, I'm not going to walk that road anymore. Today, Jesus is the bridge back to that path. He's not rejecting you. There's no gate with locked padlock saying you can't come back. If you've never been on this path and it's scary and you say, I don't know what to do, you just start by saying, God, I don't know what to do but I want to choose that path. I want to live on a path of righteousness. And there's people in this church, if you want to be prayed for, they will pray with you, talk with you, and help you. Forgiveness is available today to all who repent, no matter where you are in your walk with life. Baptism is available to wash away that old life, to add the name of Jesus to you so you are his. Without a doubt. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had no doubt they were, God, they were gods. And when sin entered, they had no clue who they were. They lost their identity. They lost their feelings of safety. They lost everything they had known. But Jesus died so that you could have your identity back in him. So that you could be stamped with him. Today, these altars are open. If you need the Holy Ghost, if you need his spirit in you, if you need anything at all, God is here today. His presence is so strong in this place. And he wants to touch your heart and your life. And you can pray where you are. You can come pray. If you need someone to pray with you, there's people all throughout this church. Anybody up here will be happy to pray with you if you have a special need. Or if you just need to say, I have fallen on my road, on the path of righteousness. I have fallen. And I need a brother or a sister to pick me back up and to walk with me and to encourage me. And today, if you find yourself with none of these things, look around and find somebody to pray with. 